Sometimes people do things that you just can't figure out. Let's say your loving spouse or your best friend suddenly blows up at you over nothing in a way they never have before. Maybe he or she apologizes, but before long it happens again and again. Vitriol gets spewed at you day after day and you can't figure out why. You're frightened, hurt, bewildered. But think back, did that person experience a bad bump to the head a few months ago? People can have personality changes. They can become agitated easily. They may become aggressive. They may have problems basically maintaining their impulse control. That's Dr. Sandeep Vaishnavi, a neuroscientist at the Duke University Medical Center, director of the Neuropsychiatric Clinic at Carolina Partners, and co-author of the book, The Traumatized Brain, a family guide to understanding mood, memory, and behavior after brain injury. He says we know of as many as 2.5 million traumatic brain injuries each year in the United States, but the number is likely higher. After the person recovers to some extent, what we see in the long term oftentimes, especially with moderate to severe brain injuries, is neuropsychiatric symptoms. I could characterize that as mood symptoms, behavioral symptoms, and cognitive symptoms. Under the mood category, things like irritability, depression, trouble maintaining their mood. All of these things can occur. And then cognitively, what we can see is that people have trouble with processing speed. They think more slowly. They speak more slowly. They may have trouble multitasking, whereas before they never had problems doing that. They may have trouble paying attention appropriately, and they may have trouble with memory, especially short-term memory. However, those effects don't necessarily happen right away. Sometimes they take months to show up. Moderate to severe brain injuries account for about 30% of all TBIs. The great majority are mild injuries. To have a traumatic brain injury, to meet that definition, what that really means is that you've had some alteration in your awareness at that point when you had your head hit. So it could be that you become dazed momentarily or confused momentarily, but there has to be some alteration of awareness at that point in time. Now, for mild brain injuries, traumatic brain injuries, you don't have to have anything much more than that. It could be just a transient alteration in awareness, being dazed or confused. With more severe traumatic brain injuries, of course, it could be where you lose consciousness or get into a coma. So it depends on the severity level. But can just one mild concussion cause drastic mood or personality changes in the future? Chances are that people will recover and not have permanent consequences. However, it does seem there's kind of evidence that's accumulating now that if you have multiple mild traumatic brain injuries or multiple concussions, that can actually add up over time and perhaps lead to more permanent problems. There is actually a pathological diagnosis, which is a bit controversial still, but something called chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE which is thought to be basically where people have brain changes and brain damage due to the accumulation of multiple mild traumatic brain injuries. So if you have many of those mild brain injuries over time, they may very well accumulate and cause permanent problems. In fact, this is actually a really hot topic right now because of football season and just in general because of sports. In fact, on Christmas Day, the movie Concussion opens with Will Smith playing the neuropathologist who first published findings of CTE in the brains of deceased football players. 
But what about the rest of us? When should you be concerned about a bump on the head? Should you rush to the hospital if you bang your head walking into the low tool shed door? It depends on what symptoms occur afterwards. So if it's just a bump on the head, they're momentarily dazed, that may be fine. I mean, most people do recover from that quite well. If someone were to bump their head and get dazed and confused, we tend to be more conservative now than in the past, especially if there are things like they're dizzy or cognitively they're a little impaired, they're having memory problems, they're having attentional problems, trouble focusing, for example, or they're nauseous, they're throwing up. All of those things would probably necessitate a visit to the hospital. Vaishnavi says after a traumatic brain injury, even a mild one, victims can enhance their own recovery by observing these basic guidelines. Avoiding alcohol and certainly avoiding drugs because those agents can definitely worsen recovery. That's number one. Number two is that exercise, in a graduated fashion, of course, as they are able to exercise, is important. Exercise, actually, aerobic exercise especially, has uh, physical benefits. It has mood benefits, and it may have benefits in terms of brain recovery as well. So that's number two. Number three is that certain nutrients can be important, like omega-3 fatty acids found in fish oil and other agents like that. B-complex vitamins may have some benefit as well, so we generally recommend patients take them. Number four is meditation. Meditation is actually a very important piece, a tool, as it were, for recovery after brain injury, we have found. And of course, there's a whole gamut of medications that can be used. With the cognitive aspect, where people are having processing difficulties, they're slower, they're having trouble with their attention and focus, well, their stimulant medications may be helpful. With people who have especially frontal lobe injuries and they're very impulsive and disinhibited, there's actually an old medicine called amantadine that we use a lot. It originally was used for the flu. And finally, depending on how agitated or aggressive a person may be, or for someone who exhibits psychotic symptoms, Vaishnavi says there are plenty of mood-stabilizing medicines available. One of the things that we've learned from traumatic brain injury is that psychiatric symptoms, meaning mood, behavioral, and cognitive symptoms are part and parcel of neurological disorders. So traumatic brain injury is a direct damage to the brain, obviously. It's a neurological disorder. But these mood, behavioral, and cognitive symptoms, these psychiatric symptoms, are really part of that whole syndrome. They happen directly because, oftentimes, because of damage to certain circuits of the brain. So I think if people understand that, people will blame themselves less after a traumatic brain injury. They won't find themselves at fault because their behavior is not what it normally would be. Or family members would be, I think, maybe more understanding and friends would understand that this is not the person trying to be bad or agitated or aggressive. This is really because of certain circuits being damaged in their brain because of the brain injury. You can learn more about Dr. Sandeep Vaishnavi and his book, The Traumatized Brain, by visiting our website at radiohealthjournal.net. Our writer this week is Polly Hansen. Our production director is Sean Waldron. I'm Nancy Benson. Atrial fibrillation is the most common irregular heart rhythm. It can be life-threatening, so patients and physicians should consider all treatment options, according to Dr. Leo Polisagian of Cardiac Rhythm Specialists Incorporated. Medications treat the symptoms of atrial fibrillation, but ablation therapy, which creates scar tissue to block the short circuit in the heart, has at least a 47% greater success rate when compared to medication, according to a recent FDA study. That's because ablation treats the underlying problem causing the condition. 
For many patients, ablation should be considered as a first-line option for treating atrial fibrillation once a single antiarrhythmic drug fails. St. Jude Medical is an international leader in ablation technology to treat atrial fibrillation. The procedure is minimally invasive but can contain risk. Ablation may involve additional x-ray exposure and potential adverse events such as cardiovascular and anesthesia-related complications, including death. To learn more about whether ablation may be right for you, visit sjm.com slash afibanswers. Medicare and their list of suppliers continue to change, so if you have diabetes, it may affect where you get your testing supplies. But rest assured that your number one doctor-recommended one-touch testing supplies are always covered by Medicare Part B at your local pharmacy and approved mail-order suppliers. Dr. Brian Levy, Chief Medical Officer at LifeScan, maker of one-touch products. Some mail-order suppliers may offer a limited selection of diabetes testing supplies. They may try to switch you to a different brand, saying your current products are no longer covered. That's just not true. You are entitled to continue using the products you know and trust and that have been recommended by your healthcare professional at no additional cost. Remember, you have a choice. Stay with a number one brand used by Medicare patients. For questions about coverage or where to get your one-touch testing supplies, call 1-866-621-6216 or visit www.onetouch.com slash Medicare. Medicare Part B is not a guarantee of coverage and payment, which may be subject to coinsurance, deductible, and patient eligibility requirements.